0: It's the Confluence, where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. Since the pandemic, how we use office space is a question for communities. Some workers still working remotely or only going in a few days a week. So where does that leave neighborhoods with office space? Pamela Austin is the president of the Strip District Neighbors, which recently came out with the State of the Strip. Welcome to the Confluence, Pamela. Thank you, Kevin. All right, so briefly... How do you describe the state of the Strip?
1: Well, the Strip District is in great, great shape. You know, it's a very vibrant, desirable neighborhood. And I think the report really shows that with all of the residential growth and the amount of retail um, coming into our neighborhood.
0: So residential and retail. But what about office space? Uh, We've seen problems with at least downtown and people not coming Uh, back. And, you know, maybe uh, the owner's looking for a new tenants, even.
1: Yeah, employers have to be a lot more creative these days to attract their employees to their space. Um, As you mentioned, I believe there was just a a, a vacancy report. uh, uh, Last week, maybe it was about 22% um, office vacancy. So it is a challenge. Um, We have a, a, you know, I work for Burns Scala Real Estate, we developed the vision on Fifteenth, And uh, our first tenant in this space is ATI. And they created a space uh, where workers could come and uh, they don't have offices that they're assigned. They have these spaces you check in and then you you, know, you get your office for the day. But they created these beautiful uh, spaces around the outside with the windows and the views and cafeterias and things. So that's what workers are doing these days to try to get people to the office. But it is a challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. What about tech, though? Uh, tech was... Uh moving upward and now where is it is it declining is it stagnant what as far as the strip is concerned
1: well yeah i mean tech definitely that you know there were a lot of um a lot of challenges with stock prices and things. So capitalization was, it was challenging, but in the, in the strip district, you know, we just welcomed a new tech user Oshkosh. Um, you know, we are the kind of the heart well, and we are the heart of the autonomous driving uh, community here in Pittsburgh. So that technology Has sparked a lot of um, companies to come to our neighborhood. Mm
0: -hmm. You mentioned uh, these sort of co-working spaces. Uh, Are you seeing more of that rather than the traditional, here's my desk, here's your desk, et cetera, et cetera?
1: I mean, there's still some interest in that, but um, we actually lost uh, Serendipity, which was a co-working space in the Strip District. So I think again, people are just trying to be um, more thoughtful about their footprint. Uh, A lot of users are going down in space, uh, you know, amount of space they're taking, but again, trying to be more quality space that they're they're creating.
0: Before the pandemic, did you think that office space was going to be a lot of the future of the Strip District, or uh, just one major component?
1: Yeah, I thought it was going to be a major component. Um, I still think it it will be. Um, You know, we're you know real estate is cyclical in nature clearly the pandemic was something that people didn't see coming um we are still recovering from that and we see that in other numbers in the state of the strip district um, but I do, I do think that other people will want to, you know, build more office in this in the strip in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Whether it's in this state of the strip report or what you're looking at, are office rec- uh, vacancy rates projected to increase, uh, decrease the vacancy, in other words, improve overall? What are you seeing?
1: It's a great question. I, mean, I think they will decrease um, just from them out of. Um, traffic that we've seen through our property this year we're, we're very encouraged by the the quality and the quantity of tours that we're getting in our, our property and uh, I, so I do think that the vacancy rate will go down
0: mm-hmm. uh, last take time oh I'm sorry uh, last October Argo AI which occupied a large space in the strip district announced its closure uh, when looking at the future of development in that area, are we seeing investors looking to retail or housing instead? What?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's been a—that's um, a great observation. There's definitely been um, a, a pivot towards uh, residential. There was even a project that had been slated for office, and during the pandemic, they—you know—they pivoted, and went to uh, residential because there are still good funding for residential.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, give us an idea right now. How many people live in the Strip, and how are you projecting?
1: Yeah, so we have over 3,000 people that now live in the strip and uh so the way the strip uh, the way the state of the strip district was put together, we looked at the pipeline of uh apartments and condos that are being built and then we added a multiplication factor and some occupancy rates to get uh you know what we think is going to happen. So we definitely think that we're going to be doubling again in the next 2 to 3 years just based on our our robust pipeline of units.
0: That has to be interesting because it hasn't been all that long ago when it's maybe just a few hundred people lived in the strip.
1: Yeah, no no kidding. I, I actually moved here about uh, 10 or 11 years ago. And so I've I've seen that, you know, this growth. It's just been unprecedented. It's really it's similar to me. Um, you know, I moved here from Chicago and I kind of equate it to the Fulton Market District. Mm-hmm. So. What kind of
0: residents are you seeing? Young urban professionals, a mix across demographics, what?
1: It's interesting. Um, you know, my my building, I live at 25th and Smallman, and we have a lot of empty nesters who have been attracted to wanting to have that, you know, fun city life. Um, so they sold their, their houses after their kids left, came into the city. So we see a lot of that. But yeah, a lot of, um, you know, medical professionals and other young professionals are also attracted to live in our neighborhood. We also see a lot of out of towners. So people who are moving to Pittsburgh, this is kind of their first lay down space in the city. They they love to be in the strip district because it has, you know, that, that live liveliness that they're looking for. And it's so it's easy for them to meet people there.
0: Do the residential and the retail go hand in hand? Uh, people maybe not want to live there if they can't get what they need.
1: Yeah, and vice versa. Retailers want to be where there are rooftops. So uh, that definitely goes hand in hand. Um, I think the, the produce terminal has been so successful because of the growth of the residential, um, you know, the people living there. Mm-hmm. And so we're starting to see a lot more diversity of of retail uses, too, which is really great.
0: Has the repurposing of the iconic terminal created new or maybe just regenerated interest in the Strip?
1: Oh, I definitely think so. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, <laughs> Smallman Street is one of our main corridors. And so now, you know, it used to have half of, you know, the side was was vacant. And now it's, it's very alive. There's people walking around, there's music on weekends, there's, there's flea markets, there's, you know, it just, it just feels good. You see all this activity, and it's very complimentary to Penn Avenue, you know, people still love going to Penn Avenue for the multicultural shops and restaurants and bars. um, But now we have, you know, more entertainment venues in the, in the produce terminal, which are, again, like, as I said, very complimentary.
0: Mm -hmm. Pamela, the Strip District bikeway is still not fully connected. Earlier this year, a cyclist was hit and was in critical condition. Your report says you need this kind of connected cycling infrastructure. Where do conversations stand in accomplishing this goal?
1: Well, um, we actually are setting up a meeting with uh, the Department of uh, Mobility and Infrastructure uh, in the next two months in our neighborhood to talk about. You know, that's just one of the items that we want to discuss. So we're really hoping that um, you know they are making headway on this, and we will hopefully we'll we'll hear soon what that is. Um, we were very instrumental in getting open streets through our neighborhood. Um, you know, we really love love accommodating cyclists. Um, I, I I myself am one. So uh, we're, we're hoping that in the, in the future, we will have a complete network for cyclists so they can safely bike all the way through our neighborhood.
0: In the future, do you think you might have connected infrastructure within a year or so?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think these things take time, uh, you know, city processes, they have to bid things, there's, you know, all kinds of rules. So I, 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 I doubt it'll come that quickly, but um, I'll cross my fingers that it comes quicker than I think. What's your big
0: argument for the connectivity of uh, the cycling infrastructure? Is it, you know, there are just a lot of people here and they want to get around. They are enjoying bicycling, getting from place to place or and the safety aspect.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of people commute on bikes. You know, I, I know people who don't drive cars that they they literally cycling is their main mode of transportation. And us being next to the city uh, in Lawrenceville, we're a connector, so people have to be able to get through our neighborhood. Plus, we're flat, which makes cycling very desirable in our neighborhoods. So we really want to make sure that we're um, paying attention to all modes of of transportation.
0: You visit the Strip on a Saturday. It seems to be bustling. Are you concerned that you're going to encounter uh, a Yogi berra from the late great Yankee star, also famous for his Malaprops? Nobody ever goes there? It's too crowded?
1: Not at all. I mean, Kevin, do you want to go to a party where there's only two people or you want to go where it's happened? <laughs> I think people want to be where other people are. Um, you know, we're past the pandemic. People are craving social interaction again, and I think that they are attracted to um, what we have going on in the Strip District.
0: Pamela Austin is the president of the Strip District Neighbors, which recently came out with The State of the Strip. Pamela, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Kevin. It was my pleasure.
0: It's the Confluence on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. Red Whitaker is known as the father of robotics, and as such, has many robot children. He's built dozens of robots for various purposes. He's the founder and director of Carnegie Mellon University's Field Robotics Center. His latest project, or one of them, I should say, is developing the Moon Ranger, an autonomous rover destined to search for ice on the moon. Red joins us now. Welcome back to the program, Red. So great to be here. All right, tell us, update us, what stage of development of the Moon Ranger in right now? Moon Ranger is
2: assembled, software is complete, it is complete with testing, and it is ready to ride.
0: Uh,
2: when do you have a projection of when? It is a phenomenal development that uh, the NASA is now putting human boots back on the moon in 2025. With a magnificent big lander, and Moon Ranger will be the only rover on that mission. We're
0: thrilled about that. What exactly do you want it to do? You've been talking about looking for ice for years and years and years, maybe even a couple of decades.
2: Ice on the moon is viewed as the most valued resource in the solar system. Why? You can melt it and drink it you can take the water grow crops change the water into its oxygen and hydrogen breathe the oxygen burn the hydrogen as rocket fuel and many many other applications all
0: that from ice that's the prize <laughs> so what's been the most challenging part of this development moon ranger is a
2: miracle of moon uh, miniaturization and of automation. Uh, It is as small as a suitcase, uh, weighs only seven pounds on the moon, can move as uh, quickly as the one-ton rovers on Mars, and uh, all that uh, with a skinny budget and lean program. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, You mentioned the size of it. Is mm -hmm. is that a plus maybe to add to its agility?
2: It, uh, agility, uh, is, is something where, uh, we all understand, uh, the agility of a rabbit and the agility of a bear. And, uh, so it, agility doesn't scale. Mm-hmm. However, uh, no, the size was originally because it was to fly on a very, very small robotic lander, but now it has this opportunity. So future moon, moon rangers will be much larger
0: mm. you mentioned automated, uh specific, uh, specific design concerns, challenges since I don't think it won't be monitored or directed by a human. Is that correct? Uh,
2: because moon ranger is too small for its radio to be direct to earth and mission control. Uh, there are times in the mission when it's away from its lander, when it must be fully autonomous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Some of the challenges are that it has to um, see where it is, uh, see where it's going, uh, stay out of trouble. uh, And uh, the technical challenges involve everything from the limited computing that's possible in that small platform to uh, being so low to the ground where you don't have the bird's eye view looking down and out. Right.
0: Uh, You have to have the ability to detect uh, the moon equivalent of Pittsburgh potholes? Uh, The moon is potholes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it's just sensors uh, to see them and then just react accordingly without any direct communication. Well, at least that, but I want to emphasize, it's not
2: just reacting. It absolutely has to have uh, reasoning Uh, about exploration, about ice, and about uh, getting back close enough that it can communicate
0: to relay its data and information every once in a while. All right. So what's going to be done with this data, this information that the Moon Ranger finds and relays? Think of ice as this valuable resource being
2: akin to uh, exploring for Gas here on Earth. Uh, recall that um, first oil and gas was discovered right here north of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And that uh, you first get out there and uh, map with whatever information you can get. And that is what Moon Ranger will do. It's later operations that go back to do pilot drilling and uh, determine how to extract and
0: process. Mm-hmm. So y- you teach it to sense the, the potholes on the moon. Did you have to teach it about ice? Yes.
2: So, um, of course, you can't explore for ice if you can't measure ice. And for that, there is a um, an instrument, if you will, that um, uses... Um, physics to measure uh, different types of neutrons to get a very, very uh, clear measurement of the uh, percentage of ice that is in the upper uh, six feet or so, and the majority of the ice is in the upper three, six feet. Right.
0: All right. So once NASA drops it off, uh, and it's working on the moon— Then when it's done, does it just stay there? Is it recovered? What? Well, they don't pay us for bringing it home. (laughs) And uh,
2: uh, that'll be true of a lot of uh, those missions. So, yes, it will be um, like a museum piece forever in the sense that the moon is a perfect vacuum. And uh, so many of the artifacts on the moon from decades and decades ago are as pristine and beautiful as they are when they were launched. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Before we run out of time, I want to ask you about something else about the moon that really fascinates you. Uh, You're working on robots to explore pits and caverns. What do you hope to learn, uh, or is it more that you provide the tools to help others answer the questions they have? Both of the above. So uh, I have an innate uh,
2: intrigue in exploration of all type. However, Uh, These, the world, uh, the moon, has a sublunarian world. Mm. So there are more uh, caves on the Earth um, than equivalent to the surface area of West Virginia. And these are all larger and longer. On the surface of the moon, a human can't tolerate the oven-like heat at the day, the nitrogen-like Cold at night, or the uh, radiation or the micrometeorite hits. Mm-hmm. You go into a cave, it's like going into a mine or a cave here on Earth, where the temperature's okay all the time and you're not uh, hit with any radiation. So that's
0: the grand dream. Okay. Uh, just running out of time, but I want to get a few more questions in. And it's a uh... Boy, Uh, moon, elsewhere, uh, in caves on Earth, wherever. Are robots, are they our current great explorers, the next great explorers? Oh, um, robots are absolutely
2: the great, great explorers. It doesn't matter whether you're looking for the Titanic under the ocean or uh, uh, these few things we've talked about on the moon or um, uh, in many, many, many uh, settings where... Unknowns are uh, inaccessible by humans.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, One of your earlier applications, uses for robots, had to deal with uh, the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island briefly. Now it's sort of coming full cycle. How so? Uh,
2: 40 years ago, uh, our Pittsburgh movement uh, addressed the robots and operations that did the initial cleanup at Three Mile Island, which was enough to stabilize it and get the doors closed. And now after all that time, uh, it is commissioned to become a greenfield. This means uh, trees, grass, flowers. Uh, That body of work will be robotic for many, many years, and um, uh, TMI has then come to Pittsburgh uh, for the next generation of great technology and enterprise to address that one.
0: Red, as we've said, you're known as the father of robotics. Uh, You're never supposed to ask a parent who their favorite child is, uh, but can I ask you what's your favorite robot you created? Uh, Well, um, if you look at uh,
2: uh, world impact, it would be things like um, farming, mining if you look like you look at things uh, uh, that they might have done it are things like the nuclear cleanup which couldn't be done otherwise. Um, and if you look at uh, total impact, it would be the invention of the very first autonomous outdoor driving thing on planet Earth um, that then led to- Everything from automotive uh, to uh, working machines in the world.
0: Red Whitaker is founder and director of Carnegie Mellon University's Field Robotics Center. Red, thanks so much. Congratulations on all your work. Such a pleasure. And for today, that is The Confluence, where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. After a seven-year run, WESA will end production of The Confluence Friday. August 4th. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the program and tune in this week for our final shows. And next time, the newly named president of Point Park University, Chris Drusalis. And there might, might be a little movement in the stalemate over the state budget. If you missed anything from today's show or want to hear past episodes, check us out at WESA.fm slash confluence or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks to our team, Addison Deal. Laura Satsui, and Mary Lee Williams. I'm Kevin Gavin. Until next time, hope you have a good day of good news.